Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and today we're going to be talking about track 9 on Kate Bush's debut album, The Kick Inside, called L'Amour Looks Something Like You. You came out of the night Wearing a mask of white color My eyes were shining On the wine of your own blood Only we move into the boudoir Too soon the morning has Thank you, darling. That's such a nice compliment. Yes, it is. L'amour definitely is you, honey. Oh, likewise. And by the way, who do we have here talking with me about this very lovey-lovey-dovey song? Well, that would be your husband, Andrew Link. Indeed. Because until we get some Kate fans coming up in here going, hey, breaking down the doors, trying to, trying to talk about Kate, Andrew's going to be up here with me talking about her music. I would hope they don't literally break down the doors. They can just knock and we'll let them in, probably. Yeah, generally. Yeah. So, this song is... has a little more information about the, the quotes and things that she's, act, she's talked a little bit about than the previous song. And... This song was performed live! So she acknowledges this song's existence. I know, she does. She went, you know what, that L'Amour song, sure, we'll put that in there. Because it has French in it, and therefore it sounds beautiful. Uh, So is this song also from the Kathy demos? No, it is not. There is a demo version of this song that probably dates from about 76, 77. It's a full band demo that she did with her uh, KT Bush band guys which consisted of the guy who would later become her longtime boyfriend and bass player and engineer Del Palmer, Brian Bath and I will look up the other musicians insert here other KT Bush band members mm-hmm. so there's a demo version of this song floating around that was probably from the mid 70s before the album was released so it was probably written as early as 1976. She would have been 17, 18 at that point. And she herself has only said a paraphrased quote that it looks through the, uh, looks at unfulfilled love through the eyes of a woman. Unfulfilled love. Indeed. Indeed. So. The history of the song, it was recorded for her first album, though a demo version does exist and you can find it on YouTube. It was performed only on her tour of life, and we'll get to the live performance of that later in the episode, and she has not performed it live since. Um, Kate Bush is not one of those touring machine kind of artists. <laughs> yeah, to, uh, to say that Kate Bush has not performed this live since, basically, that, that's not a very actually, high bar to pass. Yeah, that's actually not very much of a lot, quite a bit of her discography has not been performed live. <laughs> or at least sung live. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm just that. I mean, other than the occasional TV performance, she's not exactly been a prolific live performer. And certainly not in the last 
show, let's see, 12 years <laughs> since uh, her comeback album, Ariel, was released in 2005 after a 12-year long... 12-year absence from the pop charts and doing anything involving music. So, Lemua looks something like you. It's from her first album. And it continues... The, the theme of expressing female desire. The previous song, I think, was more about just infatuation. And while this one does have traces of that in the lyrics, I think this is more about, to me, I interpret these lyrics as a one-night stand. Maybe, maybe. I'm looking through the lyrics now. Um, I partially wonder... If this is sort of like you say a one night stand, and so, you know, especially when we do get to lines like the first verse where she says, um, "On the wine and your oro, you know, all in order, we move into the boudoir." But too but, soon, the morning has presumed. Yeah, but I do wonder how much of this is actually happening, and how much is. I think I mentioned on a previous episode the idea of just. You see someone and she starts just fantasizing about hmm. what would go on past this. You come out of the night wearing a mask in white color. My eyes were shining on the wine and your aura. Like I said, the next three lines suggest that something happens. But I do wonder how much of this might just be hmm. fantasy. And, and the reason why I wonder that is if we look at the chorus... Uh, I'm for, dying for you just to touch me and feel all the energy rushing right up in me. L'amour or love looks something like you. I just wonder, the the chorus makes me wonder if anything actually happened or if she's seeing that person. You look like an angel sleeping it off at the station where you only passing through. I love those lines. Oh my gosh. I I mean, is this actually something that happens? Or is this just her wishing that it would, but he never actually touches her and just passes by? It could be. It's it. I think it could go either way. It could I'm just probably go either way. Question. Yeah, I think yeah. You can interpret this as either they actually do get together. I always interpret it as oh, they get together because she says we move into the boudoir, and then but too soon the morning has resumed makes me think oh that they that they had intimate relations and then they. And then it just, it was so wonderful and it was over way too quickly. And they were, they realized, oh, wait, the morning is here and hey, I got to go to work or he's got to go to work or whatever. Yeah. And we don't end up seeing each other again. But I think she wrote it to be 
kind of ambiguous. Yeah, and do you think do you feel like that ambiguity is more about her being poetic or more about avoiding overt sexuality? Oh, I think it's more her being poetic cuz frankly, if she wanted to, if she wanted to be graphic in, in poetic, she could have done it. Yeah, yeah, given our previous conversations, <laughs> I should have just jumped to that conclusion. No, but is when we talked in in Feel It and her her brother, older brother Jay being a huge influence on her writing, um, her brother has works in the pornography section of the British Museum, and some of his works, I looked it up, it's it's pretty erotic. She could have gone in that direction on this song, but she didn't. I love the chorus, I'm hanging on the old goose moon, you look like an angel sleeping it off at the station where you only passing through. By the way, an old goose moon... I was going to ask. About I didn't. That. I used to think that was just an interesting turn of phrase she came up with. Actually, it is a Native American term for the month, late March to late late April, when the Canada goose returns from the south. Alternatively, the term refers to the full moon, which appears during that period. So that's what she's referring to, and in, and also I think it's an appropriate term because a a goose or a goose is a bird that just flies away and she seems to be talking about somebody who just didn't really stick around. And especially you know, when you look like an angel sleeping it off at the station where you only passing through. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of somebody that just kind of flies away, but she's doing it in an interesting poetic way. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I agree. I also really love the first lines of the song you came out of the night wearing a mask and white color. My eyes were shining on the wine and the aura. Makes me think maybe she was at a party. Or it this character was at a party. Makes me think that she is falling in love with Tom Cruise in his late 90s erotic thrillers. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I, just, I can't hear these lines and not be thinking about uh, yes, I Vanilla know. Sky or... Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other one? Eyes uh, Wide Shut. Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut. I, I know this song is better than either of those movies. Yes, it is. But, but you know, it's kind of worth mentioning. <laughs> I really, really like the second verse um, when she says, I'm dressed in lace sailing down a black reverie. Makes me think of somebody that is just kind of caught up. They're letting themselves be caught up in a dream. And her use of color in this song is interesting, too. Like, you know, a mask in white color makes me think, oh, because white white is something very bright. And then black is something dark and maybe sad. Maybe she's mourning in a way. I'm dressed in lace sailing down a black reverie. And that my heart is thrown to the pebbles in the boatman makes me think, uh, actually, the boatman part, I wonder if that's a reference to, to the River Styx. I, I think so, probably. And you know, my heart is thrown to the pebbles and the bowman that oh, you know, I'm I've I'm so caught up in this unfulfilled or just this desire, and I'm just completely torn apart by it. I agree. I, yeah, I agree that that 
probably could be. I mean, the thoughts, the thought of you sends me shivery. I'm dressed in lace sailing down a black reverie. My heart is thrown to the pebbles and the boatmen. I, yeah, I think that that's probably, she's mixing a lot of metaphors here, but I yeah. think that she's probably going with sort of, you know, it, it, the, the, the lacy lightness of love or mm-hmm. attraction combined with the darkness of this being just a, a, a quick sudden thing that's sending shivers through her like like water rippling as pebbles are thrown to it mm-hmm. um, and if she's gonna go there towards you know the dark waters then of course she's this is Kate she's gonna bring in the river sticks and Sharon the boatman and such mm-hmm. And then the last two lines, um, all the time I find I'm living in that evening with that feeling of sticky love inside. Well, speaking we, of erotic here, what are you talking about? I thought this this was just about how love sticks to you and makes your, you know, it it just refuses to let go. It's it's like how a good oatmeal be. breakfast just sits there in your stomach, clinging to your guts and refusing to go anywhere. I never really thought of it with the cereal part, but I guess. <laughs> So, well, I mean, what's what, what's your interpretation then, darling? Well, this is what that line is why I thought this song was about a one night stand. Okay, that the feeling of sticky love inside being oh, mm-hmm. Oh, well, this is the seventies before the whole STD epidemic. So yeah. I guess maybe Kate could be enjoying herself with a with a with a masculine friend. Could be. <laughs> or you could interpret that line to be but more oh you you're feeling a lot of you're you've got this love that won't let go and it's just staying inside of you that's what i was going for that's what i was suggesting all along <laughs> at the beginning and now you're I making know. me sound like the pervert <laughs> well i think she you could go either way on that one multiple interpretations I just love how you took me try I was trying to play the Puritan. I was trying to play the Puritan and talk about the stickiness of love and how it stays with you and will never let you go. I'll never let go, Jack. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Beautiful lyrics. Overall, this song is pretty short. It's less than three minutes. Yeah. Which it means gets... we're gonna talk about it for ten for ten, twenty minutes. No, because there's other stuff we can talk about with this song as well. I actually well. meant to say, well, yeah, so that, of course, it's so short, that means we're going to talk about it for like three hours, right? Not quite three hours. Oh, okay. Hopefully only 40 minutes. I try to get these be- between 40 and 60 minutes. For my thoughts on the song, it's not an absolute favorite. My top 10 Kate songs will be slowly revealed over the course of this podcast. Um, I will say none of my top 10 are on this album, The Kick Inside, though I do enjoy it. Uh, L'Amour Looks Something Like You is a beautiful song. 
It's got some poetic lyrics that sure are a little precocious, perhaps, coming from a teenager. She was a teenager when she wrote this. Oh, I forgot that. But also, I think you could say that just overall, it's a well-written song, whether she's an adult or a teenager. I appreciate her use of metaphor, because I use metaphors (laughs) in my own writing, so I can appreciate that in other people. It's not an absolute favorite, but it is beautiful. And it has a sweeping vocal melody that makes me think of something from musical theater. Especially when she gets up to you, the thought of you sends me shivery where she goes up real high on it. Um, it's got a yearning melody that works well for these lyrics. Lots of vocal leaps, especially on the title line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where, where you can you can hear right here. That is impressive. It is very impressive. Obviously, the way I was doing that, do 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 do, slower. Um, it's worth noting that um, when other people have talked about the song, um, it's usually about the the language that she uses for the song, and also um, other songs from the Kick Inside. This is a quote from Graham Thompson's Under the Ivy book. He says, The language is something new for a female artist. The kick inside is lit up with the ecstasy and fear of puberty and sexual awakening. Everywhere you look, there's a sense of a body growing, changing shape, immensely powerful, but also terrifying. Bezel bub is aching in my belly Room for a life in your womb. This kicking here inside. Sticky love inside. Referencing this song. Stars that climb from her bowels, your warm hand walking around. Elemental, primal. The title track is a sympathetic gaze at an incestuous relationship. Strange phenomena ties in the menstrual cycle to the waxing and waning of the moon. Wuthering Heights is a supernatural psychodrama. These are no run-of-the-mill boy-meets-girl songs. Even the many romantic shadow plays are sensually drawn, with a fine eye for lace and stockings, fire and candlelight, fact and fancy, almost teetering on the edge of Mills and Boone erotic cliché. My stockings fall onto the floor. We move into the boudoir. Line from the song, that last one. But usually saved by a poetic turn of phrase or a flash of genuinely inspired imagery. You came out of the night wearing a mask in white color or a dash of daft, endearing humor. Yeah, I think that that overall describes what I've been hearing of this album as we've discussed it and as you've played me the tracks that uh we are that you're discussing with other people it it does it the emotions expressed i think do reflect uh being young and figuring Mm -hmm. out figuring out what love is figuring out how to be 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> figuring out how to be comfortable in your own body and your yeah. own personality. Oh, yeah. But it's not... What, what makes this different than, say, I don't know, a Miley Cyrus album? Or, I'm sorry, not even Miley Cyrus, but the, the, the Hannah Montana or something. Mm-hmm. Is that... Or any, any of your generic teen pop, like Selena Gomez or the Jonas Brothers 10 years ago. I think what makes this different... Demi Lovato. Is that... Ariana Grande. In, A, she wrote it all. Yeah. Which is to be commended. I mean, a lot of your major pop stars, like Ariana Grande or Demi Lovato, sometimes they co-write their songs, but they're generally writing with 15 other people. I know Katy Perry does. Yeah, so there's that. But I think the other important aspect of this is that Kate is expressing these youthful I don't. I wouldn't say juvenile or childish. No. But these youthful changes, these youthful uncertainties. But instead of just saying, "Well, sometimes you fall in love with someone and you don't quite understand why," or, you know, sometimes you see someone and you really want to do them, so you do them, and then it gets awkward. You know, she's not just saying things in an awkward, poppy way. Mm-hmm. She's taking it to a metaphor and sometimes those metaphors can seem a little bit trite but it's a metaphor so it it works and lasts it, mm-hmm. i think it has greater sticking quality <laughs> when she says you know your sticky love inside i think that that gives the song more stickiness <laughs> than if she just was like mm, baby i like you inside of me or something <laughs> Yeah, it, it 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 provides that extra layer of let me think about this, and it shows that she's not just blatantly expressing whatever she's feeling in the moment. She's thinking about it and coming up with metaphors. It shows the depth of thought that many young people do have, but are unable to express mm-hmm. the depth there. So she's taking that and forcing you to understand. It's what is good about poetry or deep music. Because I mean, there's a place for light poppy music. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I like my Kylie Minogue every once in a while. Yeah, But yeah, boy. this is the true art that is poetry and literature and deep music. That it's taking these light emotions... The, the, these things that we all go through and eventually cast away because we think we are deeper than that. And it's applying stronger metaphors so that the, the, the songs still have meaning and still have depth even years later. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm just overanalyzing it. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, listening to this 40 years later... Is we're now, as of recording, this is October 2017. By the time this episode goes out, we're probably going to be in 2018. But I'm listening to this 40 years after this was produced, and it still holds up. It really does. It's, in some ways, it feels a little bit of the time, but it doesn't, but it still holds itself. Well, the whole album is very 70s. I mean, Mm -hmm. I talked on the last episode about how I was having trouble classifying Kate Bush and finally came around to the thought that 
I shouldn't think of this as 70s rock or 70s pop. This is proto-prog rock. This is someone who would become an experimental artist finding her way towards that experimentalism. So I think that gives it a lasting quality because, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're listening to Dream Theater or Yes or Rush. They're going to have a similar sound because that prog rock sound as ironically prog rock hasn't changed that much in the last 40 years Mm -hmm. because that essence of experimenting and trying different sounds and not being bound to a simple song structure that has never become unprogressive and so well, the the exact music and instruments being used, you know, Dream Theater sounds completely different from Rush if we you know, talk mm-hmm. about how they tune their instruments or what instruments they're using. But the 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 song structure and the the lyrical styling remain similar because it's still so different from pop and rock. Mm-hmm. Because pop and rock, the music has evolved, but the structure has stayed so much the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've talked before about complaining that, oh, yeah, this new song that's on the charts that we, neither of us especially like, it's so repetitive. But we really can't knock it for being repe- repetitive because it's no more rep- repetitive than Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's from the 60s to now, pop has always been repetitive. That French song I was listening to last night, Laisse tomber les filles, Laisse tomber les filles, Laisse tomber les filles, Laisse The version that you played me from more recently, they didn't change the melody, they didn't no. change, all they changed was the instruments. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it felt completely modern because it was just, Lower vocals and different instruments. Yeah. So I I guess the point is that this is a short song, but it still works. And and it does sound a little bit old, but it still works because it's in that experimental progressive rock style Mm -hmm. that sure the instruments start to sound old or the choice of using strong strong middle balancing versus strong Mm -hmm. treble balancing what versus strong bass balancing those things change but the structure of the song and the and the melodies of the song could you could re-record this song now using slightly different instruments and slightly different vocal balancing but keep the melody exactly the same mm-hmm. and it would still seem it would seem like a new song and of course i found like all sorts of like modern covers that will get to the cover versions yeah, where yeah they take that this older song and they put it in a more uh kind of more modern direction
So, I mean, I, I've just gone on a big, long rant about prog <laughs> yeah. rock. Uh, tell me, what, what do other people think about this song? My voice well, is too much of my voice. No, no. <laughs> the, the reason I like having you up here and just anybody talking on this podcast is so I'm not talking by myself and I'm like bouncing stuff. Well, of somebody else. So let's bring in the so, voices of, of some other, other people, people who, who have critiqued this song. Well, um, this is from a long article that was originally published in Sounds Magazine. It was written by Phil Sutcliffe, and it appeared on August 30th, 1980. The name of the article is Labushka. I'm not going to read the entire article, but the parts leading up to the quote I'm about to do talk a lot about Kate Bush being a very sensual sort of singer. Um, actually, the, the opening lines of this article, I say, what they say about Kate Bush is that she's a lisping innocent, a born with a silver spoon, a too-good-to-be-true, a safe and uncontroversial record industry banker. What I reckon is she's brave and honest, the most sensual writer-performer around, for her, forget politico-socioeconomics, which is crucial, but not the only crux. Just feel her. She's very tactile. Music you can touch. Sometimes smell and taste, too. All the senses embraced, like making love. Not as complete as experience by any means, sure, but reminiscent. And again, getting into the complexity of Kate Bush being this one, being somebody a little different, out in public than she is in private. Um, and everything leading up to the next quote, it references some of the work that she did that we're going to eventually get to because it, it's, it mentions um, Babushka and the, um, then they considered it graphic then. Uh, no. Yeah. She's in kind of a skimpy outfit, but Oh, come on. I've seen more skin from Miley Cyrus and other people these days. But uh. <laughs> the, the part leading up to this quote talks about her appearance in public as this person who's not afraid to express her own sexuality. Um, she says that, um, uh, it says here, I said that made the connection with the masturbatory, maybe autoerotic has a sweeter romance to it, feeling shimmering through many of her songs. There's that man with the child in his eyes who's there, quote, when I turn the light off, the gorgeous seduction of feel it, feel your warm hand walking around, I won't pull away, my passion always wins, so keep on a moving in, synchronize rhythms now. The masked figure coming out of the night and Lamua looks something like you, who she's dying to touch, and feel the energy rushing right up in me. The thought of you sends me shivering with that feeling of sticky love inside. Quote, it's not such an open thing for women to be physically attracted to the male body and fantasize about it. A lot of women I know, if they see a male pinup, think it's funny. I can't understand that because to me, the male body is absolutely beautiful. Okay, so maybe this is more of a fantasy thing rather than an actual fulfilled one night stand, but... Well, I mean... Given her family history with writing erotic poetry, mm -hmm. and that she wrote this while fairly young, chances are that it was written as a fantasy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not... Uh, I, I guess my question 
we're we're kind of in like Blade Runner is Deckard a replicant or not territory here. I mean, <laughs> obviously Harrison Ford is a human being, sadly, but <laughs> the you know, it's a question about the characters. It, you know, in in the fiction of this song, is this a fantasy or a one night stand? I think that's still open to interpretation. Yeah. And speaking of like her family like being open um, about erotic poetry and everything, this is from Under the Ivy, from Graham Thompson. Her family was not a prudish family. An understanding of one's own sexual urges was simply viewed as another means of breaking free from the chains of self-consciousness, of becoming more alive to one's own true nature. Ian Berenson, who played guitar on the majority of the kick inside, recalls Bush showing her father the newly written words to L'Amour Looks Something Like You during the album sessions in 1977. Quote, There were certain lines that jumped out at you, he says. I remember her dad came in, he would stop by, and she had just completed the lyric to L'Amour Looks Something Like You. She said, Oh yeah, here's dad. Look, I've got these lyrics I've been working on. And she gave him the lyrics. That's the song with the line about sticky love inside. But he didn't bat an eyelid. He was very relaxed. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, perhaps if we had kids, I might be the same way as her family. Well, I mean, like, they're, they're encouraging artistic expression. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're encouraging her to, to find herself and kind of in their, you know, helping her find her way in the world. Because, well, that's what you're trying to do when you're a teenager. God, oof, I'm thinking when I was a teenager, holy crap. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's what other people have said about this song. Um, she herself hasn't said terribly much about the song, but enough to uh, kind of give you a background, a little background of the theme of the song if you were to just you know, look at the lyrics themselves. Did, uh, so with other people talking about this song, um, were, were all of these quotes just based on the lyrics and the music? Or, I mean, obviously she did some interviews... Mm-hmm. Uh, did she also perform this song live at any point? Yes, she did. So t- tell me about some of those live performances. Okay. So the live, the only live performances of this song that she has ever done have been on her 1979 tour. She never performed this on TV. This was the tour of life? This was the tour of life. So this was performed every night for her tour of Europe from April to May 1979. The tour never came to the United States. It went through England. It went through France. She went to Sweden. She went to Denmark. She went all the big places in Europe. But she never came to the U.S. The only time she's ever played in the U.S. was on Saturday Night Live when she did The Man with the Child in His Eyes. And um, you guys might remember that I talked about that appearance in the Man with the Child in His Eyes episode. Um... You know, a couple episodes back. Um, this was performed as the seventh song in the set list. Unlike somebody like Tori Amos, Kate Bush, when she performs a series of concerts, like the Tour of Life, and then in 2014 when she did Before the Dawn, every night it's the same set list. You don't have anything that changes. 
There were a couple of changes on the tour of life when she got sick a few times and they reduced the number of songs, but that was only for a few nights. This was during the, this song, that will looks something like you, was sung during the first act, quote unquote, of her show. She divided it up into three distinctive acts. This was the seventh song, and it was performed right after she did an early version <coughs> of Egypt. And Egypt will appear on her um, third album, Never Forever. Um, the fact that she had this song, which is about fantasy. Also, after a song about fantasy, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about when we get to Egypt, you know, in Egypt, she's fantasizing about being in this wonderful mystical place called Egypt. And then she follows it with this song, which is instead of fantasizing about love and Lamour looks something like you, she's fantasizing about being with somebody that she finds very physically attractive. Um, the footage for this song was not officially released on the Live at the Hammersmith Odeon tape that came out two years after her tour. The live version of the song however, was released in audio form on the on-stage EP, which we talked about for James and the Cold Gun. So until, honestly, until YouTube, <laughs> when, oh, you type in Kate Bush, Lamua looks something like you live, and, oh, hey, there's a video of her performing it, because uh, a bootleg has appeared. The only way to listen to the song live was to get the on-stage version. And the onstage version uh, live is similar to the original. It's just that, oh, hey, she's singing live. Between that version and the album version, I mean, I like both. I like both. Um, and one, she's singing live. And since she doesn't sing live <laughs> or do live work, anytime I get to actually hear her singing... It's just unique and exciting. It's, it's oh, unique and exciting. Live. Yeah. for this that was uploaded to YouTube. Thank you, whoever uploaded this and share this. Yay, we get to see this. Because this was not officially released. The footage shows her wandering around the stage. The camera is mostly focused on her. While Simon Drake, who is the magician for the show, who did magic tricks and illusion tricks, 
in between songs or in this case during song, the song. Um, he performed magic tricks behind her. It looked, showed him as she's wandering around and singing in this canary yellow microphone. Not the headset mic. This is not a headset mic song. He does some magic tricks behind her. He appears to pluck a series of metal balls from the air as she's wandering around in the same kind of clothes that she was in for the previous song. She's wearing this long skirt and she's got like this, looks like this kind of netty, netty overlay on it. And she's in this kind of long sleeved leotard with like a swoop, dark leotard with a swoop neck in the front and a swoop neck in the back. And she, she's just wandering around the stage as he's doing these magic tricks. Hmm. Um, the song actually begins with her uh, singing next to a mirror. And she turns the mirror. It's like this long, long mirror. I don't even know what the name of that kind of mirror is. My parents used to have one. And she turns the mirror around and Simon Drake comes out. And uh, she then steps to the middle of the stage and sings while Simon does his magic tricks behind her. You don't see too much of what he's doing because the version I saw um, was just... um, was mostly focused on her with the camera. Um, as far as I can tell, Kate and Simon are the only performers on the stage. And at the very end of the song, she goes back over to the uh, to the mirror. She kind of has her looks like she has her left hand on the side of the mirror, and she's got the the, the mic in her right hand, and she's kind of looking at the audience, being very expressive with her face again. <laughs> I've talked before and, and feel it that like watching the live version of it that she's like like looking all kind of doe-eyed. She looks like like a Lillian Gish. Um she was a silent movie star. Um like she's she's just being very expressive with her face. And right as she's singing the last couple U's, Simon hands her one of the two sticks that he's been doing tricks with the whole time. Then he steps in front of the mirror, he steps in front of the mirror, she turns it, and then he disappears and she puts her hand over the mirror. So I'm wondering if that's supposed to be her acting out the song that, oh, she's fantasizing about this happening and then suddenly, oh, he, he leaves and now he's gone. As you've been describing this, I've been trying to think what the interpretation of her just having a magician behind her would be. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if that does lead more credence to it being a fantasy within the fiction of the song. Mm-hmm. Because you know, he's the magical person who's doing all of these tricks, who, who's pulling at her heartstrings, who's mm-hmm. who's tricking her into thinking these things. And then he goes away and it's all gone. Yeah. And she's back to reality. Mm-hmm. Because, hmm, it, just the use of a magician behind her seems initially distracting 
So I just wonder, I wonder why she'd use that. And the, the idea of it being a fantasy mm-hmm. would seem to be supported there. And there's another version of this bootlegged footage that I found on YouTube. Somebody actually combined a couple of sources. So the picture quality is not the best. But you know what? I will take anything <laughs> since this was not officially released where they, they go between the, the main version. I, the first version I saw where the camera was mostly focused on her and you do see him like go doing stuff behind her, but only in passing. And then it suddenly intercuts with another version that I think was taken like that was taken a bit further away from the stage, but at an angle rather than straight on that shows her kind of wandering around and he is like literally behind her doing stuff with these <clears throat> with these sticks. That live footage you can find on YouTube, like most things these days. If you want to listen to the live version from uh, that wasn't from that bootleg, you can find it on the Onstage EP. Admittedly, I don't have a copy of the Onstage EP. I don't have it. All the stuff I have of hers is on CD because I'm a CD kid, you know. <laughs> That's just the era I grew up in. Um, You're just cold and unwilling to accept the liveliness of vinyl. I guess. <laughs> now, I did find some cover versions. I did find some covers of the song. Tell us about the covers. Well, I'm going to do the acoustic ones, and then there's one I'm going to talk about at the end, because it's just probably the most intriguing one. The first one is from Danny McAvoy. Hey! Who I hope to to get to talk to for the Lionheart episodes, and hopefully I can get him to talk about getting to see her live, because he went and saw her on her tour. This is Acoustic Guy on a Guitar. You came out of the night Wearing a mask in white color My eyes were shining another version this is a duo and they just go by rose and olivia i found them on youtube one of them is playing the acoustic guitar the other is singing so it's you know two two girls and a guitar i'm hanging on the august moon you look like an angel sleeping it all to the station were you only passing Dying for you just to touch me Feel all the energy rushing right up at me L'amour looks something like you And another version of the song that I found was uh, a guy playing guitar while, uh, while a female is singing over it. So it sounds like this. Oh, Dressed in lace, see the night 
Now, the last two versions I found of this song, one of them is a guy singing this while playing a harp. Hanging on the Okay, so the last cover that I found of this song was from Alley Project. Is this like the Alan Parsons Project? Not the Alan Parsons Project, the Alley Project. Alley Project is a Japanese band. Okay. And they have, they are known for their strong aristocrat style image. Okay, okay. So when, when I say aristocrat, Crat style image. We're talking like trying to dress really fancy, nineteen hundred, early nineteen mm-hmm. hundred. I'm familiar with the artistic Japanese rock mm-hmm. scene. So, the, and this is a native Japanese speaker singing this song, and I thought this was the most interesting cover of "L'Amour Looks Something Like You" because the melody totally works being sung in this context because there's something kind of ethereal about it and maybe it's because japanese culture is exotic to me because i don't i i live in the united states i'm not exposed to it all the time but hearing this sung in an asian way sounds it works really really well here you can take a listen here project version is that yes it's slower but I feel like it actually it brings out a little bit more of the 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 sadness and the yearning of the lyrics yeah and I think it also highlights how solid this melody is and how and and the structure of this music like kind of like I was mentioning earlier that the the 
when you break away from traditional pop stylings and go to something more progressive, it can be a little more universal, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it works just as well sung in Japanese. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's it's still amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is. is it for l'amour like something like you why thank you darling and he and it does l'amour love like something like you and i like that by the way i like that she said l'amour of course you do of course because i am francophile of course anything because let's face it guys anything in french is gonna sound beautiful you uh, yes yes so you might have also noticed that i have completely avoided saying the name of the song this entire episode because i don't want to mispronounce it l'amour L'amour. It's close enough. <laughs> L'amour looks something like you, Annie. Well, L'amour looks something like you too, darling. Now I feel all starry-eyed. Like, oh, I know, all starry-eyed. So, in conclusion here, if you're listening to this podcast, and you too are a Kate fan, and you want to fangirl a little bit about Kate, either on your favorite song, or you just want to talk about your experience with her music, what it means to you, how you came across her music, and also anything interesting about this week's song that we didn't get to, please feel free to hit me up on kbcast at linkmedia.com. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. You can also tweet at me at strangekatecast. I want to hear from you. Because I love having my husband up here talking about this stuff with me. We talk about music all the time. But I'm doing this podcast so that I can meet other Kate fans. Uh, I feel a little lonely here. Not only am I an American Kate fan, but I'm a young American Kate fan. <laughs> and so it's wonderful just to, to get to talk with other Kate fans. Because you know, we're all kind of scattered around the world and everything. So please feel free to email me, tweet at me, Facebook message me. I want to hear from you. Yes. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see everybody next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.